Well, hello and welcome to the Cut Through Nutrition Podcast. My name is Dr. Joshua Walrich. And my name is Alan Flanagan. Hello, Alan. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and why you're here? Because we need to introduce ourselves. We do. I'm a former lawyer from Dublin, Ireland, and a current PhD at the University of Surrey with a master's in nutrition from the same institution. Either I've a diverse educational background or I couldn't figure my shit out. It's <laughs> all right though. How are you feeling now? I'm feeling pretty good about yeah? the current course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, better yeah. in nutrition. Yeah. Better in nutrition. Okay. Yeah. And you can still sue people that talk crap about you. So. Well, that's it. You know, it's exactly. just knowing, knowing a few legal maxims to fall back on helps every the only and reason then. I'm your friend. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and why are you here? I'm here because we need to create channels of communicating science-based nutrition to the public and in particular to healthcare professionals. I've been keenly interested in how we can improve science communication for nutrition so that we can better inform the discourse and the conversations that are currently happening which are not always informed by evidence. And I think it's important that we provide a platform to help to steer that ship Hmm. towards discourse in the appropriate manner. Sounds good to me. Bringing some realism back to the phrase evidence-based. Yeah, exactly. It's lost its context Hmm. to a degree. Almost means nothing nowadays. It almost means nothing. It means that someone can grab an abstract throw a reference at the end of anything the concept of being a citizen scientist is open to be somewhat abused Mm. and it also means that people can use the term evidence to back really anything but it's not simply about evidence it's about understanding evidence particularly in a field like nutrition which is entirely shades of gray nuance Mm. context And we need to be able to understand the shades of grey, understand the nuance, understand the context in order to come up with reasoned, informed positions that are communicated responsibly. Sounds good to me. So, Josh, who are you and why are you here? Ah, well, my uh, background is medicine. I am a surgeon working in the NHS at the moment or a surgical trainee to put its proper title. Um, and I have become, let's say, acutely interested in learning more about nutrition, but not because of the reason that I think a lot of doctors are starting to want to learn about nutrition. I'm interested in learning about real nutritional science and learning about how we can give good advice to patients from a nutritional perspective without confusing them. Can you qualify what you said about not interested in nutrition in the way that many doctors are right now? Put some context on that. Uh, The reason I said that, I think, is because there's a bit of a trend going on at the moment in regards to nutrition being a sexy topic to talk about and learn about. Yeah. And quite a lot of rhetoric around food replacing medication and replacing pills And if you eat the right food, you'll never need medicine. Yes. And to me, I think that that rhetoric is is particularly harmful. And uh, we won't go into it in too much detail right now because we are going to do an entire episode on it. We will. Because it's important. Um, But yeah, that's what I mean 
when I say I'm not interested in um, going down that road because I yeah. don't think it's helpful and I think it's harmful. Yeah, and I think that's part of our discourse in this podcast and over the course of the evolution of the podcast is very much going to be focused on trying to establish and to help establish for healthcare professionals listening what the status quo is on a given research question or given Mm. topic and a real understanding of the nuances within the field that ultimately make food distinct from medicine. And that is not to say that nutrition doesn't have benefits over the course of the lifespan. Of course it does. Mm. But the problematic rhetoric and the somewhat moralistic undertones of having access to and consuming a quote-unquote healthy diet almost as a healthism and a moral obligation is creating a problematic position for nutrition within medicine currently. And I think we need to help people move away from just rhetoric and beliefs and ideas that are formed often from a place of good intentions, mm. but are fundamentally perhaps not in the best interests of the the, the people that we serve in, in communicating this information. Mm. I would say for those listening at home as well, a good drinking game would be one shot every time we say the word problematic. Yeah. Um, possibly another shot every time we say the word rhetoric. I, uh, <laughs> I'd like to go back and it's count come how up. many times I've said the word problematic on podcasts. That's fine, I, though. I could almost <laughs> say it every, you know, sentence, but that's twice the, in that, a that, sentence. But that's the point, though, right? I think, something I think it's that, a fair representation <laughs> of where nutrition is at oh, in, the, in the popular discourse. It's Well, I, I, it kind of goes back to the whole treating nutrition as shades of grey. Yeah. You can't talk about nutrition or medicine without including nuance in the conversation Mm -hmm. and if you refuse to include nuance you are going to end up making very dogmatic statements and whenever you make dogmatic statements you end up being problematic exactly um so you know i i think there's a good reason why we're using those words and i think problematic has become one of my favorite words recently Um, and i think more people need to understand why these things are the way that they are and why the things are the way we're describing them as exactly i think we need to or why we think that is again don't want to be dogmatic in myself and say it must be but but it's true there are issues with the conversations in nutrition currently um a lot of those issues stem from the fact that nutrition as a field is somewhat unique amongst health sciences in in that diet is also very much a belief system for people the way that someone eats is very much a part of their self-construct and while we've typically assumed that's only an issue for the lay public, it's not. It's it's creeping into the role of nutrition in healthcare. Um, and you have, for example, self-proclaimed low-carb doctors. I mean, what even is that? So inserting a personal prefix of a belief system prior to one's title as a healthcare professional mm. is, here we go, problematic. Mm. So... That, we need that to be rhetoric is problematic. That rhetoric is problematic. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Maybe and that we, should be the title of the podcast. <laughs> problematic, problematic rhetoric. <laughs> and 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 we we need to be mindful of how we're starting to evolve these conversations, particularly within medicine. I mean, at the end of the day, nutrition currently is the shiny new toy oh, yeah. for medicine. Yeah, yeah. A field that was long relatively dismissed within the medical fold. Yeah, because let's be clear, as doctors, 
we get very little training in nutrition at medical school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there are two points to that. In one way, I think that's kind of okay. I mean, we, are, we aren't training as dietitians in the no. UK. Um, we're not training as, as nutritionists. We're training as doctors. We yeah. also don't get any training in exercise science mm -hmm. and we're not physical therapists. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why we should be using the multidisciplinary team to treat our patients and to work with our patients. But at the same time, I do think that there is an importance to have a basic understanding when a patient comes to you with such ingrained beliefs about nutrition or about this way of life or living that they've suddenly embarked on because mm -hmm. they think it's going to cure their diseases. Mm -hmm. It's important to have a baseline understanding, not so that you can uh, form a new rhetoric with them, but so that you can address the rhetoric they've come with, yeah. with some form of, of evidence, exactly. some form of science to, exactly. to have a conversation. Exactly. And that's why it's important that we're having the conversations we're having and will be having on this podcast, because it's really important that we have nutrition in medicine. Mm. It's equally important that we understand the limitations of that in practice, we still need doctors to be doctors and we have nutrition professionals. We also need to be very mindful that in bringing nutrition into medicine, we need to be conscious of where we're bringing that information in from, who is responsible for communicating that evidence. And in that respect, we've very much been off to a bit of a shaky start because as much as we have just both acknowledged that historically there's been somewhat of a dismissal of nutrition in a way, that that's manifest in the fact that doctors aren't taught any nutrition really in their medical curriculum. On the other hand, when it comes to the conversations about nutrition within medicine currently, they're all largely the loudest voices belonging to medical doctors. So on the one hand, we're saying doctors don't get any training in nutrition. On the other hand, there's that within-profession bias yeah. to other medical professionals about a subject which we're also acknowledging they didn't get any training yeah. in and, and don't necessarily understand the, the science behind. Well, it comes with an inbuilt kind of hierarchical respect that we have as medical mm -hmm. students to start with. It's mm -hmm. just a it's an instinctive and a learnt thing of you've got a doctor that's more senior than you. Automatically, it means that they know more about you in regards to medicine, which mm -hmm. is almost always valid and true. But unfortunately, when people start telling the public or telling their colleagues that they also know about another topic, and, you know, we can, I think it's not always a bad thing to bring in Dunning-Kruger in episode number one, but the problem is, is that people learn a small amount of stuff and then they start believing that they're the expert in that field. I know I, I fell into that trap briefly when I was yeah. going through my kind of Instagram learning about nutrition journey. I suddenly thought I knew everything and I should teach everyone else about it too. Yeah. But I'm, I, I'm uh, also incredibly self-critical. And so I think that as I learned more and more, because I wanted to learn more and more, and again, that's the reason why I've accosted you, I, I don't know as much as I want to know and I am not in a position to be able to have these conversations with patients or even colleagues to the extent that I would like to be able to have and yeah and you can teach us on that please hopefully <laughs> the Dunning-Kruger thing is really important because I think another aspect of the problematic conversations about nutrition now particularly in, yeah, take a shot if you're listening, <laughs> particularly uh, within medicine, is that 
I think because doctors are trained in dealing with interventions, whether it's a drug or a surgical intervention, that actually carry quite a high, sometimes potentially, margin of risk. And there could potentially be significant side effects to a drug in in someone predisposed. There could potentially be a surgery in a medical intervention that that carries an appreciable margin for for, for error or for for risk. It's always risk benefit. And there's always always risk benefit. And I think that because of that kind of inherent training to be mindful of these kind of high-risk interventions, when it comes to food, there's this almost idea of where's the harm? And, And I see a slackening of evidence-based standards by many doctors, particularly the kind of loud public media doctors talking about nutrition, qualified by, quote, where's the harm? Mm. So it's this idea that, I'm sure it's only food. Sure, where, where, where's the harm? It's only coconut we can, oil. We can, we can make, Yeah, we can make recommendations that are fairly half-baked, evidentially. Good pun for the food thing, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or a number of other things um, that are uh, lacking in evidence or that are, are weak. Uh, and we can substantiate it or attempt to with this where's the harm rhetoric. Mm. And that's a problematic aspect of the conversations as well, because it may not be harm in a traditional sense of, well, if, those go, if this goes wrong, they lose a leg that magnitude of perhaps medical assessment of risk. Mm. But there could be harm in the potential for someone to believe that turmeric is going to prevent colorectal cancer and forego chemotherapy in order to undertake some, quote, natural interventions. The potential for harm is in the potential for people to believe that food replaces medicine or trumps medical interventions that are proven to work. Uh, The potential for harm is to create a narrative uh, about the primacy of food in health when other factors, psychosocial, environmental, economic, Mm. are significant drivers of, of health outcomes. And the moralistic element that is built into the primacy of food... Uh, is something that can't be ignored. And there's also the potential for risk in creating, in an already difficult conversation around the relationship that, that people have with food at a population level, we've created so much black and white dichotomous thinking about food. We've put moral values on food in terms mm. of good or bad. And so when we add to that mix from people that have a position of trust from the public were creating potentially some issues. So while the risks are not necessarily the same, to someone outside of nutrition that isn't perhaps appraised of the potential nutrition-related risks, then food can seem like a fairly benign thing to Mm. to make fairly speculative recommendations about based on weak or you know, mechanistic evidence. And I think that's that's where we need to be vigilant against informing the conversation from from a correct science-based perspective. Well, we'll talk a bit more in depth about, well, food and medicine mm-hmm. in a slightly later podcast. But I think the, 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 the kind of aim of these, right, are that we can see if we can go through the different topics that have come up or yeah. that are coming up 
um, maybe try and create some form of almost an encyclopedia for, for these kind of topics around where the current evidence base is. Yeah. I know that when I was trying to look for a balanced or nuanced view on some of these topics, so for example, the keto diet, just you know, using one mm. particular diet that gets a lot of press? encouragement <laughs> and press. Yeah, I would say the American doctors specifically yes. are very encouraging yeah, they as are. a diet. Um, but when I was kind of looking stuff up and trying to just work out, so where is the evidence for this stuff? Where does the evidence stand? You found a lot of mice. I, I did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. there's just, you know, all, all you kind of see. And again, it's about views, right? So when you search something on Google, the stuff that comes up at the top is the stuff that's been looked at the most as well. That's mm -hmm. what it assumes you want to see. And the stuff that's been looked at the most is the sensationalist stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard unless you have a very good understanding of how to read um, scientific papers um, mm -hmm. and kind of appraise evidence and even appraise the review articles that are out there or the meta-analyses mm -hmm. that are out there. Mm -hmm. Unless you have an ability to do that, even if you have an ability to do that, it is a lot of time. Yeah. It is very difficult to work out where the current state of play is. Yeah. And so I found myself relying on people like yourself when you would do a breakdown on Instagram on certain topics and kind of messaging you and going, please save that to your stories because I need to come back and look at that. Mm. And so I think that's one way what I wanted to do with this podcast and why I accosted you and went, come and record this stuff <laughs> with me because I kind of want this stuff documented down of yeah, where is absolutely. the current state of play yeah. on the these topics exactly and i think you know for healthcare professionals for busy clinicians it's really difficult to stay on top of research mm. reading research is a skill um it's not necessarily one that people have the time to refine as a skill like any skill it gets better with practice but if you're busy as a clinician you don't have that time and so one of the problems now is that people place their trust in, in different channels of information dissemination and not all of those channels are necessarily trustworthy anymore. So the, the bias to perhaps another medical doctor doesn't really end up being sound in terms of the information that that person is communicating. Mm. Um, equally, the bias within nutrition to people that have particular beliefs about diet and health is, is problematic to unpick. So I think one thing that we've talked about that would be a great outcome on what we're going to achieve with, with this podcast is to provide a channel of communication to practitioners, in particular healthcare practitioners, that they can trust, that they will get a balanced and representative view of the evidence on whatever issue we happen to be talking about that that will be communicated responsibly, warts and all, mm. that will provide nuance and context to that area, and that we also acknowledge that this is science and mm. it is a constantly evolving dynamic process that is subject to change and that what we are communicating is the best information we have to hand at the present time. Mm. And that's okay. And one thing that people have seemingly forgotten about i think recently is this idea that science is an evolving process yeah. and they expect a position to be to be it and it's like well no it's never it nothing's ever proven truly in a scientific principle it's simply the best information we have to hand yeah. at one time and in nutrition that means that we're often forming that perspective 
from converging lines of evidence, be that epidemiology, whatever control trials exist, maybe some mechanistic work if it's there to corroborate what we may be seeing at a population level yeah. to arrive at informed conclusions. Well, I mean, it's it's that whole thing of if you're unwilling to be wrong about something, then you really shouldn't be sharing your opinion. Yeah. Because, again, you are in such a position, especially as doctors, we're in, we're in a position of trust still with the public, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Please don't stop trusting us. But unfortunately, that is, uh, that creates a greater potential for harm, it especially does. with people who think they know what they're talking about, but also are unwilling to be challenged on their yeah. rhetoric. Yeah, exactly. Um, it reminds me of that, as I was saying to you earlier, the, uh, the, the most recent Netflix documentary, the one on flat earthers where, (laughs) where they, they are doing some really good or they were doing some really good scientific experiments to kind of prove that the earth was flat, um, came across some really solid results that actually showed them that the earth was curved (laughs) and yet dismissed them and yet completely dismissed them. Even with being presented their own conclusions, they they were like, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The experiments were really well thought out. So we, we know (laughs) that when we, when we kind of buy into a belief system and as you said, nutrition has become, a, a bit of a religious belief system unfortunately mm. um we're almost unwilling to even consider the opposite side or to explore the opposite side and and it's it's concerning it is concerning and it's concerning that we have camps forming not just in the general populace but also we have factions and camps forming in medicine over opinions about diet we have factions forming in nutrition and in fact nutrition in particular right now is very fractious divided really an impossible profession to try and get any good dialogue going a lot of dogma a lot of bias and you know i think that's part of the problem as well um you know i'm not just going to sit here and pretend like this is me from the nutrition side of the fence just lumping on doctors talking about it's not (laughs) There's, there's real issues in the discourse in nutrition as well. Um, and there is just a lot of infighting. There's a lot of um, protectionism over title and who can talk about what. There's a lack of regulation, which is an enormous government failing. Mm. Um, that doesn't give the public any certainty outside of dietetics as to, as to who can give evidence-based nutrition advice, who to go to who to trust again back to that issue of trust and public trust yeah which Um, i guess unfortunately has created even more of a reason why people in the lay public are turning to people that traditionally they have trusted mm -hmm. and that being doctors yeah who yeah. don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's catch 22. That it one. is catch 22. And I, I think social media and the opportunity for commercial gain and fame really presents an added problem to this mix. Hmm. And you have media savvy entrepreneurs, essentially, for whom being a doctor in qualification or being a dietitian or nutritionist or whatever their baseline qualification is, allows them that level of authority bias to essentially mount and advance for commercial gain very fairly spurious beliefs or opinions about nutrition um, and food and health and and i think that's been probably the most problematic overlap between nutrition and and medicine in in the last while and I, i think it started with the quote functional medicine movement in the states which commercialized very, very quickly and 
unfortunately has spread to the UK in a big way. Yeah. Um, and so it's under this guise of, trust me, I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about science. The difference here is, and what makes this more, again, problematic, is that traditionally, previously, say 10 years ago, people who would talk about nutrition outside of the usual places you would hear about it, mm. if they were talking kind of nonsense or woo, it was readily identifiable. They didn't have any qualifications. Yeah, yeah. It was easily put down and addressed. You know, so Patrick Halford, for example, um, you know, and you had dietitians 10 years ago that were dealing with with him on, you know, in terms of, you know, through the media and stuff like that and, and, and rebutting him. And it was easy to portray him as a quack. Just but, to explain for our, just give us a brief sentence as to what he was saying and why it was. Uh, Patrick Halford was a, a self-proclaimed nutritionist slash naturopath slash healer who mm. basically started a supplement company, um, you know, and, and created an entire brand out of, you know, his his perspectives, um, but was wildly unqualified, made fairly spurious links between diet and everything else um very much in a kind of naturopathic perspective sounds all too uh, familiar it does it sounds <laughs> like a lot of people talking about nutrition now from mm. the functional slash lifestyle side of the fence and that's problematic because previously it was so readily identifiable but now the same rhetoric and the same language is coming out of people who are pulling a veil of science over what they're saying you know oh, well, I've written a book about diet and health and I'm a doctor and it's packed full of references. And it's like, that doesn't mean anything. Hmm. It pulls a veil of science over the claims. And that veil is enough for people of the public to, to think of it as an academic work. But really, it's not. It's a veil of wool going over people's eyes. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, the content is no different, really, at the level of, of, of evidence than what would be coming hmm. out of someone from the more naturopathic side of of the fence but you could argue that as you were saying the dietitian and nutritionist community themselves are fractured and so there's no real solid defense against some of this stuff anymore where there are so many people on both sides that will defend that kind of rhetoric yeah and it makes it very difficult for not only the lay public, but it makes it very difficult yeah. for someone like myself to work out <laughs> where the truth actually lies. And, and that's a brilliant point. There is no unified front yeah. from nutrition that's that the phrase faces I was down for. this. <laughs> there really isn't. And it's problematic. So this is going on in the public sphere while everyone in nutrition is just giving out about the latest public health intervention yeah. uh, or ad campaign or the like. And it's just a bit ridiculous. Yeah. It's really frustrating to be in nutrition and to see everyone arguing over spilt milk within the profession, criticizing everything from the latest guideline to the latest child campaign to whatever it is, yeah. criticizing other movements in nutrition. And so it's all of this internal civil war. Mm. And meanwhile, kind of Rome is burning in the background <laughs> Um, and and no one is able to actually really reestablish why people should be listening to nutrition professionals in the first place. Yeah, I completely agree. 
Um, I think we'll repeat some of that stuff in a bit yeah. more detail in later episodes, but I think this is a good place to start. Thank you for joining us on the first episode. And also, if you've come back to listen to this episode after listening to any of our future ones, we're, we're future-proofing this episode here. Or we I, are. I hope that this has been helpful to give you a bit of an understanding as to where we're coming from and why we're trying to do this. And hopefully we'll do it justice yeah. as we go along. That's the plan anyway. No doubt we will. <laughs> with, with the acknowledgement that we are not going to get everything 100% right, but we will try and be as balanced as possible and as nuanced as possible. And uh, we will try not to make every single episode a drinking game. Yeah, although we'll promise. try. I mean, science isn't about being right. It's about getting it right. Yeah. And ultimately, getting it right is always relative to where we're at right now. And I think what we're really looking to get other than if you are playing the drinking game along to the word problematic. And rhetoric. And rhetoric. You may end up drunk. But ultimately, this is going to be something that we will endeavor always to provide perspective, context, nuance, and a fair and accurate representation of the science of nutrition in relation to whatever topic we happen to be talking about. So thank you for letting me accost you and uh, thank you for taking your time to record these and I look forward to them going on. Yeah, we look forward to bringing you all season one.